Lent, uh, historically, as I was saying last week, is a time of year when new, con- like, you know, a long time ago, I said historically, Lent was a time when new converts to Christianity were preparing for their baptisms. And what ended up happening over time is that people who had been Christians for a long time were like, man, that's a really good idea to kind of refocus on the essentials of our faith along with our sisters and brothers who are new converts who are preparing to get baptized on Easter because there was a time when Easter Sunday was kind of the only Sunday the churches would baptize people, which is kind of goofy and crazy now, but it is a beautiful day for a baptism. And so um, about several, a few hundred years ago, the church worldwide kind of picked up the tradition of Lent again, and then within the last 50 years, lots and lots of denominations of Christianity have picked up this practice of Lent, like refocusing on the essentials of our faith. So two weeks ago, we talked about like helping ourselves figure out what our priorities are. Like what are the main things in our life and what are the things that have gotten in the way of the main things? And today we're going to be talking about um, our stuff and specifically um, how Jesus can cure our heart sickness. I want to read to you a passage from the book of Matthew. And if you're a parent and you have received our um, Illustrated Ministries curriculum, this is the passage from the Illustrated Ministries curriculum. So I'm going to read this, and then we'll watch a video of one of our students reading um, a story that kind of goes along, helping maybe kids understand this passage a little, and then I'll preach and give us some more details. But listen to this uh, story about Jesus found in the book of Matthew. It's actually found in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Um, But today we're going to look at Matthew's version of it. This is found in chapter 19, starting with verse 16. A man approached him and said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. And if you want to enter eternal life, Keep the commandments. Which ones? The man said. Then Jesus said, don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. The young man replied, I've kept all of these. What am I still missing? And Jesus said, well, if if you want to be complete, go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. But the young man heard this and he went away saddened or heartsick is how some translations say it because he had many possessions Then Jesus said to his disciples, I assure you that it will be very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. And when his disciples heard this, they were stunned. Then who can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them carefully and said, 
It's impossible for human beings. But all things are possible for God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And may God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. And may God give us wisdom and courage to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Let's watch this video. The man felt incomplete. Something was missing. Even though he seemed to have it all, he was not sure if his life was whole. He was wealthy, respected, loving, and lived at peace with others. What more could he need? He was not sure what he needed, so he asked Jesus about it. The young man wanted to know how to have eternal life. He wanted his earthly life to have meaning and wholeness. Jesus told him the way to meaning and wholeness was to follow the commandments, rules or laws God gave Israel. Maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments. These commandments help guide us towards love and justice. This is good advice. The rich young man had tried living this way, but he still didn't feel whole. So Jesus told him, If you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Perfect? Can anybody be perfect? In the time of Jesus, the word perfect meant whole, or grown up, or virtuous, or complete. Think of it this way. Jesus saw a young man with a lot of wealth and power at an early age. Maybe today, the young man would be a YouTuber or a top gamer. Jesus told him that if he wanted to grow as a human being, level up his maturity, he would have to let go of his riches and figure out what mattered most to him. Something amazing happens when we hold our stuff a little looser and give riches away. When we give to our neighbor, when we choose to love our neighbor more than our wealth, we become the people God created us to be. We become whole. Jesus knew this is very difficult for rich young men, but Jesus also said all things are possible with God. I told you that was good. (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about this passage from Matthew. So it is in three places. And for people who really critique the historicity of Scripture, one of the things that biblical scholars will talk about is the idea of something being multiple, multiply attested to. It's the concept of multiple attestation, which means that if it's written in more than one place in the Gospels, it's more likely that Jesus actually said it, and especially more likely that he said it the exact way that it's written down. And so that's not something I typically struggle with, but if you ever come across somebody who's like, oh, Bible schmeibel, like there are ways that like real historians will look at scriptures and say like, actually, we believe that Jesus said that thing. This story that that is told about Jesus having an encounter with a young, very wealthy man is an accurate story. And it's also a true story. And so it's important for us to dig into it and kind of figure out what it means today. Like, how do we apply the truth of this passage in our lives today? So I can remember hearing about this. Like, I have a very vivid memory of being in Susan Siple's Sunday school class when I was in second grade at Epworth United Methodist Church and hearing about this story. And kind of like the way that we were taught about it was to think about our toys, kind of like Angie was doing, and what if we gave those to kids who didn't have toys? And it freaked me out a little bit. And then as a teenager, I remember 
uh, being like a junior, senior in high school and hearing um, our pastor, Barry Dickens, the same church, preach on this passage, and I didn't like it. Because for me, it was like, you know, I, I didn't grow up as like the richest kid in my school, not by a long shot, but I also knew I wasn't anywhere near to the poorest kid in my school. I had an experience when I was a junior in high school of my friend that I played football with had left his helmet at his house. And our coach would get us out of school after fifth period if we had, I mean, after fourth period if we had a home game. And so we had sixth period athletics. We didn't have to go to fifth period. And he would let us like go home and eat and then come back or go with our friends to a restaurant or whatever. And my friend said, hey, Ross, I left my helmet at my house. I took it home last night to like polish it up and shine it up. We had these really pretty metallic silver helmets and we wanted them to some guys wanted them to be clean. I wanted mine to be like all like messed up on the front, you know, because it looked tougher, I thought. And um, so I drove him to his house. And we went down um, a, a rough paved road and turned onto a little dirt road and then turned onto another dirt road. And his mom, this boy that I went to school with and had several classes with, his mom was sitting outside washing his clothes in a wash tub. This was in the mid-90s. And when we went into his house, they had a partially dirt floor. I knew I was not the richest kid in school, but I also knew I was not close to the poorest kid in school. Because he had some things, and I knew some kids who didn't have as much as he had even. But to hear a story where Jesus is saying to somebody who is rich, hey, the way that you need to inherit the kingdom of heaven is to sell all of your stuff and the proceeds from that, you need to give the proceeds to the poor, then come follow me. And he walks away heart sick. The disciples are shocked. They're like, oh my gosh, like, we, we didn't even sell all of our stuff. What, what, how does this happen? And Jesus goes, look, it's easier for an, a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for somebody with wealth to get into the kingdom of God. Then how do we do this? It's impossible for you to do. But all things are possible for God. It's just like, so disheartening to a seven-year-old and a, I, I guess I was 16 probably at the time. And then I got a little older and I heard a new interpretation, a new way of understanding it that wasn't quite as literal. And this one was a, what, what, what I call a pseudo-historical understanding of it. And you may have heard this before, that there was a gate outside of Jerusalem called the Needle's Eye. And it was the gate that camels would go through, and it was so low that camels couldn't get through it, and they would have to take all of the stuff off of the, I guess, saddlebags, if that's what camels have, unpack the camels so then the camels could go through, and then they could drag their stuff through and load it back up on the camels. And I was like, oh, that I like that one a little bit better. Like, that seems like, oh, that's kind of cool, and also... 
you all know me enough to know I like those historical readings of things. But notice I said it's pseudo-historical. Because there is no camel's gate at Jerusalem, and nor was there ever. That was somebody making an assumption and trying to tell that story as though that's an accurate reading of it. There probably was something similar to that, maybe a gate that that's where livestock went through. But that's not the reason that Jesus told that story. And so then I was kind of back at a loss. And then I go to seminary, and I hear the best interpretation of it that I think I've ever heard. And basically it goes like this. Jesus didn't really mean what he said. Oh, good. We cannot earn the grace of God. We can't do anything to cause God to love us more. And we can't do anything to cause God to love us less. Right, Marie? We can't earn it. We can't sell all of our stuff and give the money to the poor and that's going to cause God to love us more. That's not this story. The fact is this. I think as I look back on my life and as I reread this passage over and over, maybe my 7-year-old and 16-year-old understanding of it was the correct understanding. Maybe Jesus really means what you do with your wealth matters greatly. What you do with your stuff really does matter. And as followers of me, Jesus would say, not me, Ross, me, Jesus would say, do things that make the world better and do them in my name. And don't worry about the salvation thing because guess what? You can't do enough to get it. Only God can do it. And God will do it. Amen? Maybe a seven-year-old and a 16-year-old had it figured out. Because here's the way I read it now. When I read a book of a scripture, a passage of scripture, I look at it in the context of like, what are other interactions with Jesus like? And almost every single time that somebody walks up to Jesus and kneels down in front of him or stands in front of his face, there is one of two things happening. They are either wanting some sort of blessing or offer of forgiveness, or they are wanting to be healed and cured of something. And I think this young man has worked really hard and has gathered all sorts of things, and he obviously is a very devout and righteous person because he says, look, I've kept all of those things and something still isn't right. I'm heart sick. Something's not right. I'm missing something. I don't get it. Like I don't, I don't experience God the way that I want to experience God. I don't experience God the way I see you and your followers. Like help me. And Jesus says, get all your stuff together. And sell it. And give the money to the poor. Be active in your own healing. And come follow me. Maybe today, 
Jesus is looking at us as individuals and as a community and saying, I know your heart's sick. I know that you think it's about this one thing, and you're really good at that thing. But something's missing, right? Like that's, like, your heart's sick. And I, I don't know what Jesus is saying to you. Like, what's the next step? Because here's, like, the heart of my theology is this. We can't earn our salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. But that's just the beginning. As a United Methodist Christian, I believe that is just the beginning. There's this idea that we can move on and God allows us to build a better and better world around us. We move on toward perfection. Like maybe we don't ever reach it, of course, but we move on toward maturity and depth and a better understanding of what's happening in the world. And when I look around the world, our world is heartsick. We're missing something. I think that we think we belong to an economy when the reality is we belong to a society. And we serve the economy instead of serving God. And Jesus at another place says, you can't serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. And so when we hear Jesus uh, say, sell your possessions and give them away, whatever that is for you, whatever those possessions are for you, whatever that thing is that you're holding on to and you're hoarding, we're like, uh, uh, you're stepping on my toes, Jesus. But to find wholeness and to find healing, we offer those things up. In the name of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen.